show business is uh, never follow children. <laughs> but uh, here I am. I thought you might still like to hear a Christmas story this morning. I seem very loud to me from here, so maybe we need to tone it down just a little bit. Um, during this Advent season, actually we should begin with a prayer. I need a, I need a little catch-my-breath prayer here. So let's pray together. Father God, it's been uh, so long uh, since we've had children in this congregation. We thank you for their presence, for their gift to us, and your gift to them that we celebrate this Christmas. Be with us now as we listen to a bit of the Christmas story. Help us to take away from it something that you would have us so that we may become more like you and more like the character in this story as we live our daily lives. We ask these things in your son's precious name. Amen. So during this Advent season, uh, we've been pondering stories from Scripture in which God showed up, right? We've pondered the stories of, uh, in ways, in some ways, a kind of incarnation. God has showed up in the lives of some biblical characters. On the first Sunday, I spoke about um, how God showed up in Adam as the image and likeness of God. And how through Adam's disobedience, the powers of sin and death wormed their way into God's good creation and have been wreaking havoc ever since. So in Advent, we wait for the true man, the new Adam, to stand against sin and death. On the second Sunday, Jesus, I mean, Jason, I sometimes confuse him with Jesus, but that's probably just me. Jason uh, spoke about how God showed up through Moses as a liberator of the people of Israel and how Moses, though great, was a flawed liberator. So during Advent, we wait for the new Moses, true liberator, true savior, who can free us from the powers of sin and death, who wormed their way into creation through Adam's disobedience. Then last week, Jason preached about David, greatest of Israel's kings, but also a flawed king because he too struggled under the powers of sin and death. Who rule this age according to scripture? So again, in Advent, we wait for the true king, the king who can defeat the powers of sin and death and establish God's kingdom on earth as it is in heaven. Fair summary so far? Okay. I'm just checking to see if you paid attention over the years. This week, the last Sunday in Advent, Jason and I had originally planned that I would preach on Elijah as prophet. And I just this morning figured out why Jason said, you preach that Sunday, right? Children? Uh, so he, he set me up. So Anyway, we, I would preach on Elijah as a prophet who spoke the word of the Lord to a powerful king and queen, but how Elijah was also a flawed prophet. And so we still await the true prophet, the true incarnate word of God. But the more I thought about it, the more I was drawn to a different biblical prophet this week, a character we don't often think of as a prophet. So this morning I want us to reflect together on Mary, the mother of Jesus, as a prophet. For what is a prophet, after all, but someone to whom the word of the Lord comes unbidden? One who speaks the word of the Lord has given her. One who labors to deliver 
the word the Lord has entrusted to her. Did, there were no chuckles there. Did you see what I did? Okay, good. I just wanted to check to see if you were asleep. Okay. So let's pick up Mary's story. It starts in Luke, the first chapter, uh, the 26th verse. I'll read it to you. This is from the New Revised Standard Version. And I'm going to read just through the 38th, and we'll come back to it as we go on. In the sixth month, the angel of Gabriel was sent by God to a town in Galilee called Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. But she was much perplexed by his words and pondered what sort of greeting this might be. The angel then said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his ancestor David. He will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How can this be, since I am a virgin? The angel said to her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. And now, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month for her who was, with, who was said to be barren, for nothing will be impossible with God. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. Then the angel departed from her. I don't know why I always start leaking when I'm up here on the, in the pulpit. It always happens. Okay. A few things to notice. First, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be holy. He will be called the Son of God. I think it's safe to say that counts as God showed up. I think that's safe to say. I don't know if God's Spirit gets much more incarnate than a flesh and blood baby nourished and growing inside Mary's womb. Second, Mary's afraid. I know the text says that she was perplexed or some translate it puzzled or troubled. But I think that that may be a pious gloss because the angel responds not to Mary's confusion or her perplexity, but to her fear. First thing he says is, do not be afraid, for you have found favor with God. Now this is important. I want you to listen to what Dietrich Bonhoeffer says about this. We have become so accustomed... Bonhoeffer says, to the idea of divine love and God's coming at Christmas that we no longer feel the shiver of fear that, come, that God's coming should arouse in us. We are indifferent to the message, taking only the pleasant and agreeable out of it and forgetting the serious aspect that the God of the world draws near to the people of our little earth and lays claim to us. The coming of God is truly not only glad tidings, but first of all, frightening news for everyone who has a conscience. That's the end of the Bonhoeffer quote. Well, what did Mary have to fear? Well, certainly, it was a little bit fearful to be addressed by an angel, I would think. That's probably fair. Perhaps the idea that God was laying claim to her, that she was favored by God. She probably knew about the lives of those favored by God. Moses had 
who was favored by God, had to confront Pharaoh and Egypt's armies and then lead a stiff-necked, ungrateful, and whiny people around a wilderness for 40 years. Then he died. David had to face a giant with a sling and a stone, which was easy in comparison to ruling the people of Israel and his traitorous family. Then he died. Elijah had to confront the prophets of Baal, King Ahab, Queen Jezebel, and he wound up spending most of his life on the run, so miserable and doubtful that he wanted to die, but he didn't die. I know. What's, what's going on here? Such are the lives of God's favorites. I think it's a false piety to pretend otherwise. As St. Teresa of Avila quipped, God, if this, if this is how you treat your friends... It's no wonder you have so few. I'm sure Mary had imagined her life otherwise. She would marry Joseph, a good man, a good carpenter, and they would have normal children. They would live a good, quiet, uneventful life in Nazareth. But now, if she consents to God's calling, all that, or at least much of it, will be turned upside down. Her life will change. Perhaps Mary also feared being accused of adultery, a reasonable fear, given the circumstances and the potential consequences of that. But third, I want you to notice Mary's obedient response. Let it be, as Paul McCartney says. Let it be with me according to your word. She moved from fear, this fear, to a humble obedience. And there's a pattern here, a pattern of salvation for Mary and for all of us. But before we get to that, we need to return to the text. The angel offered Mary a sign, evidence of his word. He told her that six months ago, her formerly barren kinswoman, Elizabeth, had miraculously conceived a son in her old age. And here's this story. In those days, Mary set out and went with haste to a Judean town in the hill country where she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. When Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, uh, let's see, where am I? The child leaped in her womb and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit and exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why has this happened to me that the mother of my Lord comes to me? For as soon as I heard the sound of your greeting, the child in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her by the Lord. Mary did not sit around around waiting to see if what the angel had told her was true. She didn't wait around seeing if she had become pregnant. She went with haste. To see Elizabeth, she had to know. She had to know. And it was true. Elizabeth was six months pregnant. Then the Holy Spirit testified through Elizabeth, and Mary saw that it was all true. All of it. And then Mary spoke. And this is Mary's song of praise, or the Magnificat. And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has looked with favor on the lowliness of his servant. Surely, from now on, all generations will call me blessed. For the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. His mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. 
He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the powerful from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy according to the promise he made to our ancestors, to Abraham and to his descendants forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and then returned to her home. The church calls this, as I said, calls this passage the Magnificat or Mary's song. I think it's a kind of prophecy. This is what the Lord has done, is doing, and will do. It's also good news. It's gospel. This is what the Lord has done, is doing, and will do again. Mary's moved from fear to humble obedience and from there into joyful praise and gratefulness for the faithfulness of the Lord, for his salvation, for his good news. This is the pattern I want to explore with us a little bit more this morning. One of my favorite Christmas carols is uh, O Little Town of Bethlehem, especially the last line of the first stanza, which is, the hopes and fears of all the years are met in thee tonight. Do you remember that line? Great line. How are the hopes and fears of all the years met in Bethlehem on the night that Jesus is born? The hopes and fears are met there precisely because Jesus is born there, because he is the hope and the fear of all the years. He's the hope of all who desperately need change. He is the fear of all who have a vested interest in things remaining as they are, remaining the same. We forget that the gospel is both fear and hope. Both bad news and good news. It is judgment and grace. It's frightening news and going off here and glad tidings. Carl said it's God's no and yes. And out. We'll try again. Carl Bart said it's God's no and God's yes. We prefer without bad, and we want great. I think it's this thing, Jason, more than anything else. Is this hot? Okay. Um, I'm going to start over there because uh, this is important, and I don't want us to miss that. So, now we're hot. As Bonhoeffer wrote, it's frightening news and glad tidings. Karl Barth said it's God's yes to us, but it's also God's no to us. No, you can't do that. Yes, you can do this kind of thing. We prefer the good news without the bad. We want grace without judgment, but it's never one without the other. I want you to listen to what Flannery O'Connor, who's a Catholic writer, said. The notion that grace is healing amidst the fact that before it heals, it cuts with the sword Christ said he came to bring. All human nature resists grace because grace changes us and change is painful. So we resist it. Grace calls us to change. We don't want to change. We resist it. We resist grace because we fear change. We fear pain. We fear loss. We fear the cross. But just here, in the change, in the pain, in the loss, at the cross, just here is where the good news breaks in. For his mercy, as Mary said, is for those who fear him. I went to see uh, Rogue One yesterday. For those of you who inexplicably don't know what that is, it's the latest film in the Star Wars series. I shouldn't have done it because I knew I'd hear or see something that I'd then have to revise my sermon. 
but I went and I revised. So I'm going to give you a little bit of a setup and then I'll tell you that what I just got to get to this one line of dialogue, but it needs to be set up. The protagonist in the film is a young woman named Jen Orso. Now, I'm, also, I'm not going to spoil the movie for you, okay? So, yeah, yeah. But the, she's a young woman named Jen Orso, and she's a bit of a thief and a rogue, beholden to no one, really. Early in the story, she's been apprehended by the authorities and is lounging in a prison cell. Suddenly, an explosion blows open the door to her cell, and two men enter. One of them asks her if she wants to get out. Well, she doesn't know who these people are, why they want to break her out, so she's afraid of them. Nevertheless, she nods and holds out her hands for the man to remove her cuffs. And as soon as her cuffs are removed, she knocks down her liberators and flees down the hall to escape the prison. Upon her rather speedy exit from the building, she runs smack into the outstretched arm of the new droid. Uh, K2SO, I think is his name. Right? Got it right? Okay. Who catches her, kind of like by the neck, and holds her there for a minute. And then he drops her to the ground, and he kind of leans over and looks at her and says, congratulations, you are being rescued. Please do not resist. This is so true, right? I mean, it, it, we humans stubbornly resist being rescued. We, we are all the stiff-necked children of Israel. I'd rather go back. We want to be beholden to no one. With this in mind, let's listen again to Mary's song. It seems to me that God is saying the very same things to us. To the proud who resist afraid of losing their self-proclaimed status. Congratulations, God says. You are being rescued from your pride. Please do not resist. He pleads with us. To the powerful who resist, afraid of losing their power over others. Congratulations. You are being rescued from your thrones. Please do not resist. To the rich who resist, afraid of losing their riches or privilege. Congratulations. You are being rescued from your wealth. Please do not resist. To the religiously smug and self-assured who resist, afraid that God may speak through someone other than them, someone like a Mary, congratulations. You are being rescued from your self-righteousness. Please do not resist. To all of us, afraid of the God who comes near and lays claims to our carefully constructed lives. Congratulations, you are being rescued from your self-made plans. Please do not resist. The movement of salvation is change, a move from fear to humble obedience. It is a movement from hearing God's no to hearing God's yes. It is a movement on our part from a proudly defiant no to a humble yes. From fear to let it be to me according to your word, according to your judgment and your grace. Mary had her life at least somewhat planned, and then God showed up and laid claim to her, all of her. God asked her to change. She was afraid. Nevertheless, she obeyed. She waited, as we do in Advent, and her life changed. 
And through her obedience, the prophecy and good news she proclaimed to Elizabeth came to fruition in her son, Jesus, the perfect image and likeness of God, true liberator, true savior, true prophet, the word incarnate through whom God proclaims the good news to all of us. Congratulations, friends. You are being rescued. Please do not resist. Let's pray. Father God, we are indeed a stiff-necked people. We resist mightily, heroically even sometimes, your efforts to save us, to rescue us, to let us know that we are on the wrong path and that you have the right path. Break down our resistance, Father. Catch us by the neck if you have to. Throw us to the ground and stand over us and proclaim again. Congratulations, you are being rescued. Please do not resist. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.